Well, this morning I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're finishing up a series today, and the series has been a look at a passage of Scripture from the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, from verses 10 through, through 20. What we have done is uh, we started the first week, and by the way, we're calling this uh, series Spirit World, and we started the first week with Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Week 2, we looked at verses 14 through 17. Last week, we looked at verse 18, and today we're going to finish up by looking at verses 19 and 20. Uh, we're going to conclude today this series titled Spirit World, and it's a series that, in which we've been talking about the reality of the spirit world. We, we've seen from uh, Genesis 1 that before there was even a physical world, there was a spirit world. So the spirit world is, is real, and in fact, uh, we, it is so real that uh, we uh, interact with the spirit world. Uh, it intersects and it interacts with our physical world. We saw in week one uh, about how this happened in the life of Job. Uh, he went through some terrible things that were a result of something that was going on in the spiritual realm. And by the way, the scriptures, the spirit world, the scriptures call it uh, uh, the heavenly realm or the heavenly realms or the heavenlies or the heavens. Anytime you see those phrases, it's not talking about heaven. It's talking about the spiritual realm. It's talking about the spirit world. And uh, so we've been going through this, this passage talking about the reality of the spirit world and how we can engage the spirit world because the spirit world influences us or we can influence it if we know how to engage the spirit world because there is a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual war going on. It's a war that is being fought between God and Satan and the spirit world. As I said, the heavenly realm, the, the heavens, the heavenlies. And the effects of this battle between God and Satan are felt here on earth. They're felt in our lives. You have felt the effects of this war going on. And by the way, I think it's important for us to remember, we said this uh, last week or the week before last actually, that uh, by no means should we think that God and Satan are equal or are equals. They're not equals. It's not like, like God is trying really hard to get the upper hand on Satan. He just can't quite do it. No, he's totally in control. Satan is a defeated foe. But the thing is that he wants to take as many people down with him because he knows what his end is going to be. But this battle has been going on for a long time. In fact, before Jesus even started his ministry, do you remember this story in the Bible? Before he even started his ministry, he wrestled with a devil. The devil tempted him to doubt his identity. He tempted him to misuse his power. It's a real struggle in the spiritual realm going on. And after he started his ministry, he continued to, continued to wage war against the devil by casting out demons, casting out evil spirits. He did that a lot. Apparently there was a lot of that going on. It was uh, very visible. And so he dealt with that. And, and then he would deal with power-hungry and hypocritical religious leaders. He would call them, get this, he would call them the children of the devil. He'd say, you are the devil's children when dealing with with these power-hungry and hypocritical religious leaders. And not just Jesus, but Paul also saw the forces of darkness at work in the world. He saw and noticed Satan's influence on human rulers who became cruel tyrants, who became dictators. He, he saw Satan's influence on human institutions 
that turned corrupt and they turned self-serving. And then there were the unseen powers of the occult. Paul dealt with this. Uh, the Ephesians, we're, we're going to read in Ephesians here in just a minute. We've been reading Ephesians 6. Well, the Ephesians themselves had known the bondage of, of the occult. And they had been set free from the bondage of astrology and magic and spiritism. In fact, remember the story we, we talked about in week two, or uh, maybe it was week one. Uh, the story we talked about, the seven sons of Sceva. Remember the seven sons of Sceva who, who decided they were going to... Uh, Cast out demons because they, they saw this being done in the name of Jesus. They saw Paul doing it. So they said, well, we're going to do it too. So they went to a man who was demon-possessed. They, they said to this man, uh, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, uh, we command you to come out. And then the demon spoke back to them and, and said to them, uh, we, we know who Jesus is and we've heard of Paul, but who are you? And one man beat up the seven sons of Sceva. He beat them up so badly, the Bible says that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And so when this happened, uh, I want to take you to Acts 19 and give, kind of give you the little follow-up. Acts 19 verse 17 says this, the story of what happened, and we're talking about to the seven sons of Sceva, the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Verse 18 says, Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. And so... The, the spiritual war that was going on was very evident in the stories that we read in, in the scriptures. So we've been reading through Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10. And, and now we find ourselves in verse 19. But I'd like to go ahead and start from verse 10. We're going to go ahead and read from verse 10 to verse 20, these 11 verses. So if you'd follow along in your, in your Bibles, we'll start with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and we talked in week two about how the day of evil is not referring just to the last days that are evil days. It's talking to specific times of enemy attack on our lives that we all face. So he says, when you face that day of intense attack from the enemy, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with a the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18, this is what we talked about last week. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. That whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Well, last week we spoke about praying in the Spirit. And we spoke about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to continue that theme a little bit today as we move into verse 19 as well. And uh, I want to, first of all, let you know that the primary reason, and I said to you last week, there's so much that we didn't get to last week that it it really would take uh, a whole separate series. And we've done uh, a series on the Holy Spirit uh, in the past, and I'm sure we'll do that in the future. But I uh, didn't get a chance to, to cover everything. But, so I want to let you know that the primary reason for the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just so you can speak in tongues. Sometimes we focus on the teaching of speaking in tongues and we allow it to become divisive. And this is, uh, this is not something that was meant to be divisive. Speaking in tongues, according to the scriptures, is simply, and I explained this last week, the, the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's not the only evidence. It's just the initial physical evidence. There are other uses for speaking in tongues. And by the way, I've preached in the past a a message of why tongues? Why did God choose tongues? Why didn't he say the the evidence, the initial physical evidence that that uh, that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit will be that you suddenly raise your right hand and put your left foot out? I mean, why not that? Why tongues? Uh, I think it might have something to do with the fact that the tongue is the most unruly member of our body, James says. It's the most unruly member. We can control so many things in our lives, but oh man, try controlling your tongue. Maybe it has to do with that. I, you know, we don't really know. what well, you know, God is God and He's sovereign, but it's possible that's why. But we know that in terms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's the initial physical evidence. But there are other uses for speaking in tongues Beyond that as well, such as personal edification. When we speak in tongues in our private prayer time, Jude said this, we become strengthened to face life's demands, life's circumstances, the difficulties we face. And we become strengthened also to face the attacks of the enemy, uh, as we've been talking about. And speaking in tongues is also a way for us to intercede for ourselves, as we're going to see in a little bit, and to intercede for others and to do it in the spiritual realm, because I said to you last week that all praying, all praying affects the spiritual realm. All praying does. But praying in the spirit affects it at a, at a whole other level. It affects, us, it affects it in a way that is beyond our, our own understanding. That's why Paul said, I will pray in the spirit and I will pray with understanding. He was saying, I will pray with words that I understand and I will pray with words that I don't understand. Both, both are equal. We're not saying praying in tongues is more important and it should be done above all things. All kinds of prayer, Paul said, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So with all kinds of prayers, every one of those affect the spiritual realm, but, but praying in the Spirit affects it at a whole other level. And so it's a way for us to intercede for, for others and for ourselves in a way uh, that is beyond what we can do through our own understanding. In the context of the church, speaking in tongues is a way that God speaks through the church. Uh, Paul taught through a message in tongues and through interpretation. Uh, you know, so there are various <clears throat> uses of tongues. But I don't want to focus only on that and neglect the primary purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because the primary purpose we find in the scriptures is to help us be bold witnesses. 
So here it is. The primary purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to have power to witness to others about Jesus so that we might bring them from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. Jesus told his disciples, remember his disciples, when Jesus first appeared to to them, he had already appeared to the two disciples that were going to Emmaus, but on the day of the resurrection, that night, when he first appeared to the group of them, the Bible says that he breathed on them and he told them, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was at that moment that they experienced conversion, salvation, or to use Jesus' words, to be born again. Because as I said to you, when Jesus tells you, receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. So he breathed on them. When we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We're baptized Uh, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, into the fellowship of Christ. But then he told them, don't leave Jerusalem until you have been endued from on high with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so this is a, a subsequent event to salvation. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All right, so he's saying you're going to receive power to do what? You're going to receive power just so you can speak in tongues all day? No, you're going to receive power to to do what? You're going to receive power to be witnesses. That's the primary purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. You'll receive power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is why Paul, getting back to our main text in Ephesians 6.19, why Paul says, and pray for me also. Remember, why does he say uh, also? Because he's been talking about praying in the Spirit. He's been talking about the spiritual realm. He's been talking about spiritual warfare, about engaging the, the spirit world. So he says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And he says again in verse 20, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now again, remember, he's talking about praying in the spirit. The purpose of praying in the spirit is to infiltrate the kingdom of darkness, the dark side of the spirit world. To infiltrate the kingdom of darkness with our prayer so that we may be able to speak God's word with boldness to those that are in the, that are in the dominion of darkness. Paul was well spoken. Paul was very educated. He was very articulate. Why was he asking for words? Why was he saying, pray that I may have words? Well, he had a lot of words. On one, on one occasion, he was, taught, he was accused rather of being very verbose. You know, all the words that he uses, he trying to impress everybody with his big words and his vocabulary. He had words. He was very intelligent, but he knew That he was going to infiltrate the enemy's camp at another level. And he needed the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Now, imagine for a moment that that you're in the the U.S. military. You pick your own branch, whatever you like. Say you're in the military. And you were given the job to infiltrate the enemy. To get right in the belly of the beast. To get into the enemy's camp. And you were going to go there not to kill the enemy, but you're going to go there to talk to, to, to people and to convince them to come over to our side. What if you went into the you know, ISIS camp? Say so you went to ISIS camp and you tried to convince those that yelled, death to America, 
that, you know, America is not that bad. You should come over to our side. How, how well do you think that would go? Probably, you know, seems like an impossible task. But that might give you just a little idea of what we're attempting to do when we try to tell someone about Christ. We're actually asking them to leave the domain of the enemy, Satan's domain, and to come over to the kingdom of God. And by the way, I'm not saying that everyone who isn't a true follower of Christ is satanic. I'm not saying that. Or they're, just, they're controlled by Satan. But it is clear from Scripture that there are only two domains. There's the domain of darkness. There's Satan's domain, which is the dominion of darkness. And there's God's kingdom, which is the kingdom of light. That's, that's all there is. One is the dominion of darkness, and many people live in that darkness. They don't know it. They don't realize it. They're not you know, Satan worshipers. But uh, they're, they're in that darkness. They're deceived. They're confused. And then the other one is the kingdom of light. In fact, when Jesus called the Apostle Paul to the ministry, this is, what, this is what Jesus told him. We read this in Acts 26. Paul was testifying about his conversion and how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so he, Paul's telling this story in Acts 26, 17. And, and Paul says, this is what Jesus told him. That Jesus said, I will rescue you. This is Jesus talking to Paul. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness. This is so important. The, the reason for this, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what we're doing at this church and any church that preaches the gospel, any Bible believing church, what we're doing is we're battling for souls. We're fighting for souls. We're, we're going into the enemy's territory to bring back souls so that souls just like we were, souls might be transferred from darkness to light, from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. We're fighting a spiritual battle for souls that are lost and in darkness, and we're trying to bring them over. They're, they're, uh, they're facing a life of despair because the kingdom of darkness is a life of hate, sin, despair, hopelessness. And the kingdom of light is a kingdom of joy and peace. It's, it's a kingdom of hope. It's a kingdom of forgiveness. And so we want to bring them over to the kingdom of light. It's a difficult task simply because the enemy is not willing, he's not willing that, uh, he's not willing rather to give up those that are under his influence or under his control. This is why we come across so many obstacles when we try to speak to, to people about coming to Christ. We try to speak to them about Jesus. We try to invite them to church where, where they can hear the gospel. It's a battle. It's a fight because the enemy doesn't want to give them up quickly because we're fighting in the heavenlies. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we actually battle for souls? Well, the first thing that we need to do, we learned this from Paul, Ephesians 6.19, is we must pray for ourselves. We must pray for ourselves that we may have the words, it's like Paul have the words, and have the courage to speak of Christ. Paul asked for prayer, for words, and for courage to declare the gospel. In fact, he, in fact, I said it earlier, he mentions the word fearlessly twice. That's what we need, to be fearless when we witness, when we testify, when we speak to our friends and our co-workers, our family members, our neighbors, when we speak to them about Christ. We need words and we need courage. 
Because when it comes to doing that, that's really what we lack. When it comes to witnessing, we lack uh, the right words and we lack courage. We don't quite know what to say. We don't quite know how to broach the subject, how to, how to speak to somebody about, about Jesus or how to invite them to come with us to church. And then when we do have something to say, we're afraid to say it. We're afraid to speak up. We're afraid to offend others. Other people aren't afraid to offend us. They offend us all the time with their vile language, with their vulgar, vulgar stories, with their lifestyle with their demands, but we're afraid to speak up about Christ. So we need words and we need courage. And that's why we need to pray for ourselves. And that's why we need to pray in the Spirit. And that's why we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit so we can be witnesses for Christ in our Jerusalem, in our Judea. And by the way, these were concentric circles that Jesus was talking about. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So we need the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Christ in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the, the best way to start to start speaking about Christ to others is simply by being a witness. Now, I, I think that all of us should know how to present the gospel in a clear and concise fashion. And that's something we've spoken about and we've taught uh, in the past. We'll continue to do that. But the best way to, to, to start speaking, if you're not comfortable doing this yet, and if you're like Paul, Paul needed, and he was articulate, but he still needed prayer that he would have the right words and the right occasion. We do too. And if you're saying, I don't even know where to start. The best place to start is simply be a witness. A witness in court simply tells what he or she has seen or heard. That's all you got to do. Just tell others what, what Christ has done for you. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to get into a theological... In fact, don't get into a theological discussion. And don't get into a political discussion. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about bringing people from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so all you got to do is look for opportunities to tell people how Jesus changed your life. Because, you know, the reality is that they can argue, if you, have a, you get into a theological discussion, they can argue with you about that. But if you tell them about your life, how your life was changed, they can't argue with that, especially if they see the difference in your life. Many years ago when I was teaching full-time, I was teaching at Edison, and a, a young man started teaching there. He, he was uh, one of the art teachers there, who was a relatively new Christian. I got to know him. We would eat lunch together. We'd get together a lot of times, uh, oftentimes during lunch to pray together. And uh, he was, I mean, a brand new teacher. In fact, I remember the first year that he taught, he called me the Sunday before Labor Day. He had just started teaching. He just taught one week, I think, and then we had Labor Day weekend. And uh, he, he says, uh, Mr. Hernandez, um, this is James. Said, yeah, what's going on? Hey, so tomorrow's Labor Day. Yeah, so the kids don't have school? No. How about us? No, we don't either. You get to stay home. Okay, I didn't know. I, I wasn't sure. So he was just totally new to the teaching profession. And uh, like I said, he was a, a new Christian. He was always looking for opportunities to speak of his faith to other teachers. And one day, as a group of us were eating lunch in the teacher's workroom, he began to talk about his background. I'd heard this story before. 
uh, he, he, he was a heavy drinker, he did drugs, you know, he, he just, he was totally, totally uh, messed up in his, his life, you know. Uh, he's talking about all this, and uh, I mean, it was intriguing enough that eventually one of the teachers took the bait. One of the teachers, after hearing this, asked him, so what happened that you turned your life around? And we're all eating, he stops, he, put his fork, he puts his fork down, and he says, I gave my life to Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And it was a silence. People just, you can hear him, you know, carry the, the forks and the spoons, you know, nobody said anything. So he just kind of kept talking a little bit about that. You know, there was a little bit of awkwardness because, again, what's he doing? He's trying to infiltrate the kingdom of darkness. But all he was doing was telling his story. How do you argue about that? He's just telling what Jesus had done for him. So pray for yourself. Pray that you would have words and courage and just start by telling your story. Just get the courage to start saying, you know, before I came to Christ, this, this is what my life used to be. And, and, and a lot of times, people like me who, you know, I grew up in church. I've never used drugs. Never had anything to drink. You know, I was thinking some time ago about when I first, when I first started teaching at, at Edison, a friend of mine who was a choir director at Central, and he and I are the same age, he came over one day after school, and we didn't know each other very well. And uh, he... He, he came, hey, how's it going? And I greeted him, and he says, well, he says, I don't know if you're still working, but uh, he says, well, first of all, he, he says, I was going to ask you, do you imbibe? And I said, no, I'm a teetotaler. You know, and I think now we're both in our early 30s, and I'm thinking, we're talking like a bunch of old men. Do you imbibe? No, I'm a teetotaler. No, he was, why don't you say, do you drink? No, I don't drink. You know, why don't we just say that? But we're just kind of trying to feel each other out that way. And so we got to be good friends, but, you know, I've never drank, you know. So I, I, it'd be easy for me to say, I don't have a testimony. I can't speak of what my life used to be. But the reality is that I do because I know what I would be if it weren't for Christ. I know myself. You know yourself. You know your failures, don't you? You know your weak spots. You know where you're tempted. You know where you have been tempted the most and where you have failed the most. And so it's so easy for me to say, you know, if I hadn't been raised in a Christian home, if I hadn't been taught to follow Christ... I think I know where I would be, and it wouldn't be up here preaching, because we know ourselves. So we all have a testimony. And, and by the way, in addition to that, I don't think there's anything wrong with simply inviting your friends and your coworkers, your family members, your neighbors, to come to church with you. Some people say, oh, that's not true evangelism. You've got to tell them about Jesus. I beg to differ. I, I think ultimately you want to tell them about Jesus, but... For those that say that talking about Jesus is the only true evangelism, inviting people to church is a cop-out. You know, again, I won't argue that the goal of evangelism is to invite people to come to Christ, to turn their lives over to Christ. But I believe that inviting people to church is a legitimate and powerful way of inviting people to Jesus. Because remember that, and Bill Hybels is the one who coined this phrase, that the church is... The hope of the world, because the church stewards the message of Jesus. So when you're inviting people to church, you're inviting people to Jesus. You know, in the, in the New Testament, when Andrew and John wanted to follow Jesus, they asked him, where are you staying? And Jesus told them, come and see. So they went and they, they spent a day with him and their lives were changed. Then shortly thereafter, Jesus found Philip and called him to follow him. And so Philip's life was changed. And Philip went to find Nathaniel. And told Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah in Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
And Philip said, come and see. Jesus is the one who started the come and see movement. And the disciples just said, come and see. So maybe you can start with come and see. You know, we're having Back to Church Sunday next week. And it's just an on-ramp. It's an on-ramp for you to you know, invite people to, hey, we're, we're having a special day. We're going to have gifts for our guests. And uh, you know, we're going to have a, just a special time of, of all coming back to church. And it's just an on-ramp. Take advantage of that. Take the invitations and, and give it to somebody and say, hey, come, just come to church with me. And people ask you, what's your church like? Come and see. What's it like to meet in a cafeteria? Come and see. I mean, just invite people. It's a legitimate way of inviting people to Jesus. So start with that, if nothing else. Pray for yourself. But secondly, we must pray for others as well. We must pray for others. Pray for others so that their hearts would be open to the gospel of Jesus. Every person must choose whether to follow Christ or reject Christ. We can't choose for them. But we can pray for them. And ask God to speak to them and for their hearts to be open to the message of the gospel. That they would be receptive to God's love and to God's word. Many years ago when I was a youth pastor, one of the teenagers, teenage boys in our church, he was in high school, he left the Lord. He left the church, he left the Lord, he began to follow his friends, was soon away from the church, was not serving God. And we prayed for him, we talked to him, but to no avail. Then one day his mother said something to me that was quite shocking to me. In fact, you know, when she said this, I was taken aback. I wasn't expecting this from a parent, or especially from this parent of this young man we had been praying for. And uh, she told me that she didn't think we needed to pray for him. We should stop praying for him. Because after all, she said, it's his decision. Why are we praying? She says, why are we praying? We can't decide for him. He's got to decide. It's got to be his decision. So I told her as respectfully as I could that I thought she was wrong because even though we might not be able to decide for someone, we can definitely pray that God would speak to them, that God would allow circumstances in their lives that would cause them to reflect, to remember, to return to God. That's how we pray for people. We pray for them, that God would speak to them. So pray for people's hearts to be open to God's love. Satan doesn't want them to know they're loved by God. He wants them to feel hopeless and in despair. As I said earlier, Satan's domain is all about darkness and despair and hate. God's kingdom is about love and hope and light. And we want them to know this hope. We want them to see this light. Satan doesn't want them to know that they're loved. So pray that they would know their love, they would be open to God's love, because people need to know they're loved and they're forgiven. We can share God's love with them simply by loving them in spite of where they might be in life. Just love them. Love them the way that God loves you. How does God love you? Unconditionally. Unconditionally. People need to know they're loved. This week, I made a trip up to... Waxahachie, we, we had our, a special call, a special session of our district council, and the reason was to elect a new superintendent for our district. We're part of the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God, and so our superintendent was elected at the general council last month to go up to the national office. He's going to be the general treasurer of the Assemblies of God USA. 
So we had to replace him. We hated to see him go. He's a great, great man. And uh, so we elected a new superintendent for our uh, district. And so the man who was elected was the previous assistant superintendent. So we had to elect an assistant superintendent. Well, the man who got elected assistant superintendent is a pastor or has been a pastor for 30 some odd years in Austin. And uh, he's going to have to leave that church and I move up to the district office. And uh, he's a great guy. He was my, my roommate when I was at Southwestern at, uh, in Bible College back in the 70s. So I went up to him after Thursday night. Uh, after the meeting, we had a banquet to say goodbye to our uh, superintendent who's leaving to the national office. And so after the whole event, I finally made it up uh, to the front and I saw my, my college roommate. And I gave him a hug and I said, hey, congratulations. Uh, just really happy for you and... Uh, he gave me a hug, and he says, man, he says, I, I never would have imagined. He told me when, when we were roommates here at Southwestern, here at Sagu, I never, actually, we were there, it wasn't Sagu, it was SAGC, it wasn't a university yet. But he said, I never would have imagined that I'd be in this position, assistant superintendent of his district, over 600 churches, overseeing these 600 churches. He says, back then, when I was in college, I didn't see this far ahead. I, when, he says, when I was in college, I just wanted to know if God loved me that week. I was so insecure. And, uh, well, you know what? It was him and everybody else. People need to know that God loves them. And we have the answer. So pray as you love people the way God loves you. Pray for them to respond to that love. Because ultimately, sharing Christ with others is about love. We share Christ because we love Christ and because we love others. Now, let me... Let me finish with this. What does God want you to know today? And what does God want you to do? What God wants you to know today is He wants you to know that you're an ambassador for Christ. That's what Paul said in verse 20. I'm an ambassador in chains. Your calling is to represent Christ with your life and with your words. That's what God wants you to know. What does God want you to do? God wants you to penetrate the forces of darkness with your prayers so that others may come to Christ. Your friends and your family members, your neighbors, your co-workers won't be saved unless someone prays. And that someone should be you. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and pray in the Spirit so that the people that you have influence with your friends, your family can come from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Andy Stanley says something. He has a really good teaching on prayer that I heard several years ago. And uh, he asked this question. Uh, he was talking about how when most of us pray, we pray for ourselves. We got this down. We, we pray for ourselves. We got the prayer for ourselves down. If it's time to ask for a prayer request... I pray for me, I ask for a prayer for me or for my family. We're always praying for ourselves. So he asks this question. He says, if God were to answer every, every prayer request that you have, 100% of the prayer requests that you have before him, who else would get blessed besides you? In other words, who else are you praying for? And I, it's a great question. I'd like to take it a little further, though. I'd like to ask the question, if, if God were to answer every one of your prayer requests, 100% of your prayer requests would be answered by God. How many people would be saved because of your prayers? That's what we need to be praying as well. 
So today, as we, as we finish this series, spiritual warfare is not just about you know, cursing things and casting demons out. It, it's, it's about praying for souls as well. It's about the battle for souls. It's, it's a battle. It's a war. But guess what? We're on the right side. We're on the winning side. Let's commit today to taking part in this battle. Let's commit to penetrating the forces of darkness with our prayers so our loved ones can come from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light.